Welcome to Authors on Tour Live, a weekly podcast for people who love to hear about books from the authors themselves. My name is Darren Fote, and today we are podcasting live from the Tattered Cover Bookstore, one of the premier independent bookstores in the nation, with three locations in the metro Denver area. You can visit www.authorsontourlive.com for a complete list of upcoming podcasts. Wait a minute, it's time to begin. Anna Newell-Jones is the creator of the popular blog, And Then We Saved, famous for giving actionable personal finance advice with attitude. At the end of 2009, Jones found herself battling immense debt and made it a priority to take control. Tonight, you will hear the story of how she went on a spending fast and paid off $24,000 in nearly 15 months. She will be speaking about and signing her new book, The Spender's Guide to Debt-Free Living, How a Spending Fast Helped Me Get from Broke to Badass in Record Time. Uh, feel free to pick up a copy on the shelf over there, um, get it signed, and then just pay on your way out. And now, without further ado, please help me in welcoming Anna Newell-Jones. Thank you, Megan. Thank you all for being here. For those of you who don't know my story, um, my na- I'll just go ahead and tell you a little bit about that. So, um, again, my name is Anna Newell-Jones, and um, I had close to 24000 in debt, and it was crushing my soul. So I decided to do something about it. I did a spending fast for a year, and it changed my life. And so I wrote a book about it. It's a how-to guide, and I'm going to read some of my favorite sections from the book, and we'll have a time for Q&A at the end, and I really hope you love the book, and I'll go ahead and just get started reading some of my favorite excerpts. So this first section is about when I hit my bottom. So I kept buying even after the money was gone. December 29th, decked out in layers of sweaters and wearing a pair of long johns under my jeans, I sat anxiously on a crowded and sniffly flight to visit my Midwestern family for Christmas. I was alone and wedged in a middle seat between two strangers when I hit my financial bottom. That December marked 8.8 years of my being in debt, and it signaled that the 30th month in a row that I had rolled money from my overdraft account to my checking account to cover my excessive overspending. At that moment on the plane, I owed exactly $23,605.10 in debt. Now, I know that $23,605.10 in debt is not that much to some people, but it was bad enough for me. There was a heaviness associated with my debt, and it suffocated me even when I was not consciously thinking about it. Some days, I could completely ignore the way it pulled me and angled my decisions. And other days, I neatly justified them by reminding myself that a hearty part of the total amount was just old college loans, which, as we all know, our society deems as good debt. And according to Forbes, the outstanding national student debt balance as of February 2014 was over $1 trillion. And the other part of my debt was made up of a combination of consumer debt, which was about 6000 and then a loan that um, I had enthusiastically vowed to pay back to my parents, which they took out on my behalf for my college education. It was on that crowded plane that my financial life finally became real. What was it about that flight, that day, and that moment that caused my in-air epiphany? I don't even really know the answer. Maybe it was a pause in the day, that I was allowed to take on that brief flight. 
Maybe it was because it was the first time in a while that I had been able to think to be in my own head. It could have been how surrounded I felt by my fellow seatmates, how they wrapped me up in their presence, how I was hemmed in on all sides, and how there was no way out, no way out of my debt, no way out of the plane. It was those gut feelings, the oh my gosh, this has got to end, that propelled me to keep going with the spending fast when I really wanted to quit. And I took out a big section in there. I'm trying to go with the most exciting parts there for you. Okay. I had a lot of fun writing this book, um, and there's a lot. For anybody that follows my blog, there's actually a lot in the book that's not in my blog. And um, I really made an effort to, to make sure there was, like, a lot of new content and some of the insights into me and Aaron's relationship and kind of how the spending fast was hard on our marriage and things like that. It, the spending fast is, it takes a lot of sacrifice and really it sucks a lot most of the time. But my whole thought is get through the debt and then get on with your life. So that's how I approach the spending fast and how um, this guide to how to do a spending fast is written. Now we get to the part where you get to make your own damn luck. All right. So uh, right now you're probably thinking, if I had the money to pay off my debt, I obviously would have paid it off already. There's just no extra money. Not too long ago, I thought the exact same thing. I believed I was buying only necessities, and after paying for rent, food, utilities, and transportation, there was nothing left over. I couldn't even imagine getting close to paying off my 24000 in debt, on my income as a courtroom clerk. I figured if there was any chance of that happening, I would need a higher-paying job, I'd have to win the lottery, which I didn't even play, or a large bag of money would have to appear on my doorstep with a tag that read, Honey Pat, it's your lucky day. All very unlikely possibilities, especially considering the state of the economy and the lack of money laying around. I didn't feel like I was living extravagantly at all, I wasn't making payments on a crazy fancy car, taking elaborate European vacations, or even handing out full-size candy bars on Halloween, which is awesome to do. My brother does that, actually. Um, My money came in and was gone before I knew it. There was nothing left to pay off the giant pile of debt that was haunting me at all times. I was hopeless and out of options, or so I thought. Luckily, I found that you don't need some outside force to rescue you from you, yourself, and your mistakes. You don't need a lottery win, an inheritance, or a chance encounter with a random pile of money to take control of your life. The secret to wiping out debt, and to keeping it wiped out, is to crush autopilot spending habits, modify priorities, and pare down expenses. These actions are the trifecta that will quickly get you out of debt once and for all. And as a bonus, you'll need less money to live on since you won't be subsidizing your your, uh, debt every month. So part of um, the spending fast is figuring out your problem areas. It's about um, creating your reverse budget, and I outline exactly how to go about doing this in the book. Um, So at this part in the book, I am talking about where... I um, figured out the problem areas that I had. So I knew clothing was a big, obvious problem area for me. But I did not realize that Chipotle was going to be such a huge, blaring thing. Like, oh, hmm, that might be a problem. 
So, um, let's see. So my purchases from Etsy, I also knew that was a problem. And that is a website for all things handmade and vintage. It popped up in my car. Are there some fans of Etsy? Yeah, <laughs> you can relate. It popped up in my columns as a very large weakness. And since I'm an artist myself, I love to support other artists. So it was easy to justify spending this money. While I reason that every purchase was made with care, and they were, the list of things I bought from that site made me sound like a tween on a sugar high let loose with hundreds of dollars at a flea market. Here's a sampling of my purchasing offenses. For my husband, Aaron, which he's back there, um, with our little son who the babysitter ex, uh, canceled this afternoon. Um, so for my husband and boyfriend, a wallet made of black and yellow duct tape, one stuffed mini Sasquatch, and a small scale paper rib cage featuring a lifelike dangling heart, dangling heart and stunning detail. For myself, a hand-carved rubber stamp of a bear with a tuft of hair and a sweet little heart on its belly, mini earrings, and various cake decorations that ranged from cupid dolls to tiny hot dogs to a family of miniature deer. All true story. <laughs> true story. For my twin sister, Kelly, a print of twin sisters sitting in chairs and joined by their braids, as well as a print of twin owl sisters wearing floral prairie dresses with Peter Pan collars, their arms interlaced, because, you know, twin stuff from my twin. Perhaps the best ever purchase went to my future brother-in-law's girlfriend, who happened to work at a dentist office. She received a ceramic tooth pin with moist-looking gums, that made it seem uncannily realistic. <laughs> well, the bulk of my items that I purchased from the site were gifts, the expense of them added up fast, and my bank account didn't give me any mercy for being generous to others. It's probably safe to say that my sister didn't really need both of the prints, and some might even say I was being excess excessive in my gift giving, and they would have been right. But there was a bright side. I could now see patterns and I was, that I was unable to recognize before. I saw the sad details about where my money was going and how much I was wasting. The bottom line, I was buying stuff I didn't need with money I did not have. So that's a little depressing, right? But at least once you have that information, you can do something about it. And that's the great part of it. Of it. Am I reading too fast? Is it okay? All right. All right, so I mentioned briefly that the spending fast can kind of suck at times. And I'm just being real with you, right? It's not like a magic wand. It's really hard at times. It's completely worth it, but it's hard. Um, and so in this section, I talk about um, some of the tough times. So, all right, I'll be totally honest. There were times I wanted to give up on the spending fast. It got especially trying around the third month. Frankly, I was bored. I hadn't yet fully embraced my newfound, uncomplicated, and modest lifestyle, and I'd missed buying stuff. I hadn't really figured out a way to hang out with my friends that didn't involve spending money, and Aaron was sick of me mooching off him. He was getting good at being able to tell if I was going to say, Hey, you gonna eat that? Or, can I have a sip? He'd beat me to the punch with an expert-level side-eye, stopping me mid-sentence. I was tired of wearing black all the time. 
and my boss at the time, a judge for Denver District Court actually, um, asked me if my black wardrobe was a Johnny Cash thing. <laughs> and uh, nah, just a frugal thing. I was completely out of my really good coffee and I was buying the least expensive off-brand off grounds I could find. While drinking bad coffee sucked, the worst part of the spending fast up to that point was turning down an invitation to go on a trip with my husband. I was saying no to a lot of invites at the time, but this one, it really hit me hard. So Aaron was taking a trip to Portland, Oregon to visit his brother Matthew, and I envisioned them drinking coffee so good that in years to come, <laughs> I was desperate, <laughs> in years to come, it would be referenced in stories. Remember that time when we had the most amazing coffee in the world? And surely they'd hike through forests of the tallest, luscious trees, greenest trees too, while exotic, never-seen-before birds serenaded them with magical songs. They'd stop by, stop to enjoy a perfectly packed picnic lunch while lounging on a red and white gingham blanket, and a rainbow would hover so vib vibrantly above them that if they were to reach out, they'd be left with a dusting of color on their fingertips. I was having a hard time saying no to that trip. <laughs> Approximately 5,478 inside jokes would be created during this magical lunch in the forest, and I'd spend the rest of my life being told, you know what, you just had to be there. <laughs> I really like that paragraph. So part of the spending fast and getting out of debt insanely fast is making more money. That's that helps if you have more money coming in, right? So um, part of that is getting rid of things that are no longer serving you in your life and making money on those things if at all possible. So one of the things I did was I had a yard sale. And um, my mom, she was an expert level garage yard sailor. It's kind of like a regional thing, whether you call it a yard sale or garage garage sale or stoop sale, I've heard they call it in New York City. Um, so this kind of talks about um, what I was going through with the yard sale process and kind of how that all went. So obviously the more stuff you get rid of, the more money you'll make, even if you don't get as much as you had hoped for on every single sale. When people were uh, browsing at my yard sale, I'd always walk up to them and I, I flashed my friendliest smile. This is pretty friendly, right? I'd let them know that we were trying to get rid of absolutely everything. So we were offering great prices. This news, it got people's attention. And they seemed to look at things a little more closely once they knew they could get them for cheap. I was dishing out compliments left and right, even telling people what shirts would look good on them. When people left empty-handed, I'd tell them, Hey, come by later. We'll be out till five, weather permitting, of course. Insert a wink, chuckle, and pantomimed elbow jab. Used car sales lady Anna was in full effect, laying it on thick. We're liquidating. Everything must go. So don't turn down a sale. Remember, any money is good money. If someone offers you a dollar for a battered copy of The Joy of Cooking from 1986 that you think is worth two, because it is vintage, just take it. It's better to have a dollar 
than a book you haven't used since you wanted to make potato pancakes back in 2001. Another thing I learned was not to put prices on everything. So I didn't take the time to label anything with prices at my yard sale. I figured in an effort to conserve time, I'd just wing it. And I was nervous about how that'd go. You see, I grew up with a mom who had her yard sale skills on point. I'm talking pro status. Days before her sale, she'd dutifully get her permit. List, we did not get a permit. Uh, list the yard sale in the newspaper and label each item with a price in her delicate, perfect handwriting. It is amazing if you ever... I feel like I need to have an example of it. She'd have plenty of change on hand in case and it is a cash business after all. She'd set everything out on tables in the garage the night before and would start promptly at the crack of dawn. Needless to say, I had big shoes to feel, fill. Uh, needless to say, it felt slightly sacrilegious to not price things. When people asked me how much something was, I made up an amount and quickly spotted it out. For years, I had overthought the damn price tags. <laughs> That's my yard sale experience. Okay. So I have one last section um, that stood out to me as a favorite. The whole thing is a favorite, really, let me be honest. Um, I, it was, um, it took me, it was quite the journey just going through it, but just writing it was a huge process as well, and I love how it turned out. Um, so this last part is the end of the book and I'm not sure if I'm supposed to read the end of the book or not but I like it and I want to share it so let's go for it right okay so I'm no longer part of the problem a couple of months ago this was a while ago now uh, my twin sister Kelly sent me an eight-word text that simply said today is day one of my spending fast we're close, and we talk frequently about her spending fast is going. I like to be there to cheer her on, and I should add that my sister is doing her fast while running her own business and raising three children on her own. Kelly recently received, uh, told me she received a $2,000 check in the mail. The month before, she had received 4000 and another hefty amount had arrived just a few weeks before that. Kelly had just gone through a divorce, a tax issue had been sorted out, and the mutual fund she shared with her ex-husband had been liquidated. We were talking about what good timing that was, how lucky she was that the checks had started pouring in during her spending fast. As we talked about it, I remembered that I'd had a similar experience after my spending fast started. All of a sudden, I was finding myself on the receiving end of money. I was wondering, why is this happening? And I thought as one does, if this had happened before the spending fast, I wouldn't have gotten into so much debt, right? Looking back, I know that that's not true. Had I not done the fast, I would have found at least 20 different ways to spend that money. I had spent years telling myself that money was the biggest problem in my life. Now, I thought differently. I was taking action. I was asking myself, how can I make more money? What can I do to get out of debt faster? I was living in the solution. When I finally stopped being a victim of my debt, I allowed the money to come into my life. I took responsibilities for the choices I made, their resulting consequences, and I made my life change by taking action. I was no longer waiting for life to magically get better on its own. I was creating the answers and instead of expecting them to come to me. 
I learned how to attract money rather than repel it. And I learned that getting out of debt was, more than anything, a belief in the future. I was trusting that by suffering through the spending fast in the present, I would set myself up for a stable future. And that's exactly what happened. It's not as if my sister and I are supernatural twins with the power to conjure money with the blink of an eye. We just stopped asking why and started asking how. We made the internal shift and took control of our money. And as a result, the course of our lives. Who knows where it will take us? Who knows where it will take you? Debt no longer has the power to threaten the life that you were meant to live. You have the power, and you are the solution. And that's the end. Okay. So I would love to answer questions. Uh, you're a blogger. Yes. About how much money, maybe a tenth of a cent or whatever, does a blog make per page view, and how many hours a week do you spend on Okay, so the question is um, how much, basically how much money does a blog make? So when I first started blogging, and my blog is in thenwesave.com for those who aren't familiar with it, um, I really just wrote it as a journal and kind of as the process, as I was going through the spending fast process. And so my goal was not to make any money at all on it. And then... After the spending fast, a couple years in, then I started thinking about monetization options and how all of that works. And so the first thing I did was I put um, Google ad words on my site. And my audience did not like that at all. They were like, no ads. Um, And so I really struggled with if I should leave them on. And ultimately, I decided, well, The blog is a way to make additional income, and that's part of what I'm doing. Um, So that's something I've been, I've had to kind of work through. But to answer your question, um, the amount I make on the blog varies. So there are different times where, like, I can have sponsors, and they paid for they pay for content. They'll they sometimes do you know like a style post or a lot of money saving apps, things like that. So there's not really a set answer for you. Um, it really varies. So some months it's $100, um, and some months it's... And also another thing is I've gotten different sponsorship... Um, well, not sponsorships. Um, I'm trying to think what they would be called. Just a gig. Um, I, so I did some things. PNC Bank um, hired me to do some videos. And this ad agency in New York City hired me. They um, And they flew me out. And I did a whole series of um, educational videos for them. And that's actually been something that's been way more profitable than any little links. So it's more of the synergy. It's your platform for your personal brand, which helps you get the agent to do the book. Right. Yeah, exactly. So, um, so he said it's more of like the synergy of having the blog, and the and that in turn gets the um, agencies and and gigs and all of that. Yeah, exactly. Any other questions? Okay. What did you do about gifts? So gifts. Um, so I made gifts, um, and I also did not give gifts. Um, frankly. And, um, 
my husband was a recipient of, I keep calling, he's like, why are you pointing me out again? Um, but so for Valentine's Day, I was like, okay, let's have a $3 gift limit. All right, I can splurge. I can go ahead and give myself a $3 gift limit. So that was not super popular in my house. Um, but, you know, he was allowed to spend as much as he wanted on me. <laughs> um but really what it was is it made having such a either a no budget or a super small gift giving budget really um, forced us to think about gift giving in a new way. So um, I also have a friend who just so happens to be here. She um, gave me a book for a book reading that was actually up in the old upstairs here. And um, I made her a cake. I, you know, wanted to reciprocate. It was a birthday. She's like, oh, I'll give this to you as a birthday gift. And I'm like, oh, I can't just take a gift and not reciprocate. So I ended up making her this, like, super extravagant birthday cake. And it was kind of obnoxious, actually. But um, but so it just thinking about gift giving in a new way and a lot of thoughtful letters and things like that. And it was only for a year, too, so... Um, so it didn't last that long. <laughs> Any others in the back? Yes. So the question is, are we going tiny? So what she's referring to is um, my husband and I, we recently built a tiny house and we were on uh, Tiny House Nation. It aired on April 16th, I believe. And it's on, um, if you go to FYI Network, you can see a replay of it, and it was a lot of fun. So um, we, that, that's kind of a long story. We're not living in the tiny house yet. And so the whole kind of a fun fact about that is it was built in five days, which is kind of insane. And it ended up costing way more than we had planned. Um, so we were originally going to film this show this spring, and then they're like, oh, we're going to... Uh, be filming another episode right before yours. Can we do yours in the fall? And we're we're wedding photographers, and so we're like, no, we're getting done with a bit, uh, very busy season, so we can't do it. And um, anyway, we ended up doing it, <laughs> and it was kind of crazy timing-wise, but it ended up working out totally fine. And um, we're like, okay, we're going to get through the winter, and then we're going to figure out exactly what we're going to do. And so... Um, so we are not living in it yet, but we do have a tiny house. And now we're getting ready to go into wedding season, and so we're going to be in our condo and probably rent that out and then swap where we're living, depending on the season. So, any other questions? Hi. <laughs> Hi. Okay, so the question was, what's the biggest um, change I've noticed in my spending since doing the spending fast? Is that right? Um, one second here. Um, so I don't think there's any way that you can do a spending fast and not have it completely change your life. So, gosh, it really changed just so much of how I approach life in general. Like, so I used to say yes to everything and I used to not be able to tell myself no, if I'm being honest. And so I learned that the biggest thing is I can now tell myself no, and I can now pause and I can now, 
um, not spend every single cent in my in my wallet. And really, it's given me just a completely different outlook on life. And gosh, I wish I had a tidier answer for that. But um, it's it's just com- completely changed my life in so many ways. And spending is but a fraction of how it's changed my life. So from your blog, I remember you talking about things you ate that were kind of old. Yeah. thing you ate? <laughs> yeah, so the question is... Um, what is the weirdest thing I ate? So, um, gosh, I ate a lot of weird things. I ate, for some reason, I had col- had all these pi- cans of pineapple chunks in my cabinets. I have no idea what that was about. But I was like, you know, there might be something and we might need these canned foods. I probably better stock up. And, you know... If you're tempted with a Chipotle burrito or anything besides a can of food, you're going to take the other thing, right? So I ended up eating probably 10 cans of pineapple chunks, and I just suffered through it, and I was like, it's food, I'm going to do it, I'm on the spending fast, I got to just power through. And then I had um, a few cans of vegan chili, which I... It was really tough to eat that. That was that might have and I and I was a vegan at the time, and so it wasn't like so far fetched to be eating vegan things. It wasn't that. It was just like it was kind of like dog food. Like it wouldn't have been good in any situation. It, and I had microwaved it, and I was eating it out of a plastic bowl and with a plastic spoon, and so it was very disgusting. <laughs> So that's, yeah, definitely that. <laughs> uh, so how, how did eating a plastic bowl and plastic spoon uh, help your frame of mind or your ability to save money? Oh, okay. So you saved on water by not washing dishes, or how did that work? Yeah, so the question was, um, so how did the eating on plastic bowls and with a plastic spoon play into everything? That actually wasn't a part of it. I only did that because um, I was at work, oh. and that's all I had. Yeah, it wasn't for any spending fast reasons. <laughs> and then, Sarah, did you have one? <laughs> so the question was, did I combine the chili with pineapple chunks? And that would have been definitely the grossest thing, and I uh, did not do that. So. <laughs> so did the judge ask you if you were going into the Tupperware business? <laughs> he didn't, no. <laughs> And there's a question up front. Did you buy yeah, so um, the question is, did I buy groceries? So I did buy groceries, and so um, part of the spending fast is creating a wants and needs list. And the great thing about the spending fast is that it's catered towards each individual person's life. And, like, I recommend that you use my wants and needs list as a guide to create your own wants and needs list, but um, really it needs to be based on your own priorities in life. And... So my husband and I, we're not, and my son, um, we're not foodies at all. I could eat oatmeal every single meal. I could eat a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Like, it does not matter to me at all. Um, But I know it is a big issue for some people. So um, what I always recommend is, and to answer your question, yeah, I did buy groceries, but I bought in-season 
fruits and veggies, um, a generic, and then one tip for you with that is to put the off-brand foods into a name-brand container. And that's actually really good for kids that like name-brand foods. Um, And I also realized I kind of had an aversion to generic foods, too. I just thought it didn't taste as good just because, I mean, I hadn't done any official taste test or anything. I just assumed it was nasty. And um, But just having, like, the perception of, like, oh, this is name-brand or whatever, it kind of changed how I thought about it and made it taste a little better. So um, did I answer your question? Okay. You gave me an idea. I'm going to get the Monsanto tomatoes and put organic stickers on it. Um, <laughs> yeah. so, since since you're, you're a writer, how many thousand books should a writer own? Oh, gosh. Is this as far as, like, uh, clearing I'm, out? Or? I'm not sure if a writer should have 1,000 books, 2,000. Oh, gosh. So the question is, as a writer, how many books should a writer have? And... I don't think there's a right answer to that. Whatever is right for you. <laughs> so, any other questions? I can talk about um, the book writing process and the book deal. I mean, not like specifics about that, but kind of how it all came about. If you are interested, um, Rachel. Okay. So the question is. Um, how did the spending fast work with me doing the spending fast and Aaron not doing it? So how that worked was not very well. So I um, decided, I, I read in the very beginning about how I decided to do the spending fast and I was on the plane. So Aaron was not with me when I decided to do the spending fast. I, for some reason, I went by myself to go visit my family. I don't know why he wasn't with me. Um, But he wasn't. And so I came back and I'm like, honey, I have this awesome idea. (laughs) You're going to love it. It's going to tackle this whole debt problem I have. So a little backstory: Aaron did not want to share an account with me when we got married because he saw how I was spending and how it was really just totally out of control. And so I was a little embarrassed about that. But at the same time, I was like, that's okay, because I don't really want to ask him anyway. And I don't want him involved in having a say in how I spend money. So um, so we weren't sharing accounts, and I was thinking, you know what, I'm just going to do the spending fast, and it won't affect him at all. Like, it's just going to be me, and then boom, I'm out of debt, right? Um, that did not happen at all. So... Um, So the way it worked is I did a lot of mooching in the beginning, and that did not go well at all. And he really um, set boundaries, which was great. Um, And at the time, I did not appreciate that. I was like, I'm your wife. We should share, Um, right? But I'm so glad that he did not, like, bail me out because it made me face what I had done. It made me deal with the consequences. And ultimately... I'm proud to say that I was able to dig myself out of the debt on my own, right? So um, so actually, the relationship and the marriage part was actually super, super hard with the spending fast. And so that was something that we navigated. And I would highly recommend, if you're planning on doing a spending fast or have any interest, to talk to your partner about it first. 
that would be helpful. <laughs> so, did you have a, another? Oh, okay. When you were doing this, before, during, or after, what did you find out about what was causing you to do the things you liked at the time, but didn't feel so good later? Yeah. So the question was, um, what did I figure out what was causing me to spend? Is that, and then, is that what the question was? Okay. Yeah, I definitely got some insights into that. So the question was if I ever figured out what caused me to um, spend the way I did, it, more or less. I'm paraphrasing. I'm t what kind of kinds of things were the triggers for me to spend the way I did? So the emotional basis of um, I think I was um, I think I was really bored and I used shopping as the answer and spending as the answer and it filled it filled a lot of needs for me I um, I shopped when I was like at bored and like I need a break oh my gosh this is you know like just as a way to zone out I shopped when I was um, I had events coming up. I shopped when I was happy. It was something to look forward to, to plan on. And it was really just a huge part of my life. And I realized that um, now looking back and on this whole process, I wasn't being grateful for all that I had. So if I was grateful for what I had, then I wouldn't have constantly been looking for more things to um, just more, more of everything. You know, if you're grateful for what you have, then you um, are more content. So I think there's just a lot that goes into that. And then, I mean, there's definitely a lot that goes into like the emotional side of spending. And that's definitely Did a lot. Did you have any relatives when you were growing up uh, do any of those things? You know, um, the question was if I ever had any relatives that did any of those things, the uh, overspending things. I actually, my mom was the opposite. She was like, let's just get enough. And, and, you know, part of me was like, I don't want to just get enough. I want to have like five pizzas and a whole cake for my birthday. You know, it's like, let's go overboard and let's like really enjoy ourselves. And like, that was another part, part of it too, excuse me, is I got to the point where with my debt, I, I thought I was going to die with it. I'm like, this is just so overwhelming. It's way easier for me to just pretend that it's not a problem than to face it. I wasn't ready to face it. And so part of my outlook on it was, you know what? Screw it. I'm going to just enjoy myself and live my life. And then maybe someday by the day I die, maybe it'll be paid off. And I didn't have any other plan than that. Okay, so the question was if I finished the manuscript before I got a publisher, and the answer was no. I um, It took, so my literary agent, um, she found me because um, I was dubbed a debt buster by CNN Money, and my site got like some crazy amount of hits, and, my, and it showed up on um, 
some list of popular sites for the day. And so she found me and then reached out. And um, I ultimately ended up going with her as my agent, um, even though that was quite a while ago. We just connected, and um, I had a good feeling about her. So for quite a while, I had to get my blog traffic up to where it was pretty consistently high. And um, that was actually just fine because it helped me like really build relationships with the um, with the readers and really feel connected to them and and um, and then during that time I was working on a book proposal and then so I had about two chapters of the book written along with basically it was a basically for lack of a better way to put it, it was basically like a cover letter that would was kind of explaining like the plan for the book and what I had envisioned and then plans for other books that I would like them to buy. Right. Um, so, um, the finished final book is actually very, very, very different than what I sold. I mean, it's not so different. It's in the same vein, obviously it had to be close the same as what they bought for me, but, um, but it's pretty different. The final version. So, Two more questions. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so the question is, what did I do with my free time now that um, I wasn't shopping and spending money, and um, I did not do construction? Um, that sounds pretty intense. Um, what did I do? I did. Um, a lot of times I ended up just turning down the invite and it wasn't fun to do that. Um, and then other times I would s suggest ways to hang out that didn't involve spending. Like I had a friend who we had a habit of going to lunch together and, um, and it was just like, okay, yeah, let's just go to lunch and we'll just have lunch and chat. And so once the spending fast started, it was like, okay, how can we still have a relationship? How can we still hang out? Um, and like, I really wanted relationships to still be a big priority. Like I didn't want to lose friends because of this. Right. So it just, I had to get really creative about how I approached it. It was more, once the spending fast happened, it was, okay, how can I hang out with her but not spend any money. And that's really what the whole motto became. Like, how can I do what I want to do without spending any money? And as long as you have that outlook, like it's amazing how creative you can get. And so what happened in that situation is I ended up going, like I packed my lunch and we, she picked up her lunch from the restaurant and then we would go to the park and sit and talk and it was totally fine. Um, and then another time we went to, I, to get ice cream and she's like oh I'll just buy your cone and I'm like oh gosh that's awkward it's like two dollars you know and I'm like oh I can buy it like I have the money I just don't want to spend it and so it's like really hard having those conversations and and I talk a lot about the social side of the spending fast because that's a huge issue for so many people um and so it's really just like I ultimately ended up doing this drawing of her <laughs> it's a long story it that actually did a whole spin-off into these zombie portraits I did on Etsy it's a long story but so um but yeah so really 
to answer your question, it's just thinking about um, how can I do what I want to do without spending any money and just getting really creative about that. And then there's um, kind of a bonus, 151 things to do without spending money at the back of the book to give you some ideas. So <laughs> to get you started. So one more question, last one. So the question is if I have plans to write another book. Um, right now, I don't have plans to write another book. And um, to tell you the truth, I am surprised there are as many books out there as there are because it is such a tedious, like, extensive process. It's, like, insane. So, well, it would be nice to write another book in some ways. I'm also okay if that doesn't happen. And there's some other opportunities. <laughs> but thank you all so much for coming. It was a lot of fun. And I'll be up here signing books. And uh, thanks for all your great questions. That's all for tonight's Author on Tour. I'm Darren Foden. We have been podcasting live from the Tattered Cover Bookstore in Denver, Colorado. Stay pod-tuned in the coming weeks as we podcast Authors on Tour.